Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. We'll start here at James chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? That's a message in it by itself. Amen. Pastor, I didn't come today to get rebuked. I came to be encouraged. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't that discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me. Dear brothers and sisters, hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who, come, who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? And he, it's important to understand that it's not rich people who slander the name of Jesus. Uh, many times we read this and there's this complete adverse theology to this scripture and it's like oh no God didn't call anybody to be rich and and it's a sin to be rich and that's not what James is talking about James is talking about is the Roman power at that time were the ones that were viewed as rich and so he's saying aren't you can't look at rich people and discriminate the poor people because the people that oppress you are, are rich themselves he says yes indeed it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures love your neighbor as yourself but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is, a, is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. If you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you still broke the law. This is why in this church we never look at somebody's sin greater than ours. And we don't judge anybody because they sin differently from the way we sin. Oh, that was a good time to say amen right there. They must, they must have got into teaching Mo. Reuben, you just taught them last week. We're going to make them hallelujah, holla back today. <laughs> so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Now, again, it's important to understand that the background of these 13 verses is ultimately James saying, listen, your faith in Christ must produce something in your life. And he says, ultimately, if you're going to gain riches, if we're talking about riches, we're talking about being rich in faith. Everybody shout faith. And so he goes on. Now we're going to read 26 verses of the Bible today. Woo! Anybody excited? 26 verses of the Bible today. All right? So if you didn't read your Bible this week, Pastor Roe got you covered. Verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Watch this. Can that kind of faith save anyone? And suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. This is every religious person's favorite verse right here, all right? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. 
Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that that faith without, that faith without good deeds is useless? Verse 21. Don't you remember that our, ancestors, Abra our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and it counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. This is important to, to, to understand the context here. And this is what we're going to break down today. Verse 25, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without works. I want to give you the title to today's message, and, it, and it's simply this, Faith That Works. Look at the person next to you, tell them, Faith That Works. Tell them, Faith That Works. Help me pray today. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we're so grateful, God, that we can be in your presence today. We're grateful, God, that we can enjoy being here with you and with one another, God. That church doesn't have to be this boring ritual that we follow, but it can be an enjoyable, life-changing experience. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here, God. That the words I speak, God, in them by themselves cannot change anyone, but your Holy Spirit can change anyone. And so we pray that you have your way here today, God. I thank you for the amazing privilege to pastor the most amazing church, to be married to the hottest woman on the planet, and to father some amazing kids and be the pastor of an amazing worship team. Come on, somebody. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone shout. Come on, give a God a shout of praise in this room. Man, did you, how many grateful for Javi, man? I'm looking at this guy, this guy, this. Can I get A little bit. Man, I saw him playing the piano. He's playing piano, he's playing bass, and he's singing background vocals. I'm just saying that too. I told him everything he knows. Anyhow. How many, how many agree that, that it's, it's, it's rather enjoyable to win a debate? All the, all the honest people said amen, right? Uh, how, how many would agree that it is not enjoyable to lose a debate? Uh, how many agree that you don't, there's certain people you cannot lose a debate to? You know what I'm talking about? Like there are certain people, like I can lose a debate to certain people, but there are certain people that I will fight tooth and nail because if you lose a debate, they will remind you every single day of your life. I'm one of those people. Anyhow. Um. Um, and, and, and the reason I bring this up is because ever since I was a kid, my, my mother would always tell me, she'd be like, listen, listen, man, you should have been, a, you got to be a lawyer when you grow up. You got to be a lawyer because you debate everything. She's like, she like, you got a four-point sermon as to why you came late and you can exceed your curfew. You got a three-point discussion as to why you don't need a curfew. You got five points as to why you don't need to do homework and why homework is irrelevant. You see, Rolando, you never broke the rules. You just wanted to debate them. And I said, yeah, that's pretty, pretty much right. And so all my life, my, my mother's been telling me I should have been a lawyer. And, and recently, we had a finance meeting in the house. And I want to talk about this because uh, in this meeting, I began to share with the finance team some of the reports that were given to me. And I just wanted to read off what the reports were saying, and, and this is what I said. I said, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take $500 from the savings account, okay? We're going to take $500 from the savings account, and we're going to put it towards this project. 
All right? You guys heard what I said? Amen. And so I continue talking, and as I continue talking, um, I say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take $500, and we're going to put it towards this project. And as I continue talking, they're saying, oh, so, so there was a rebel in the group. And so Lisa says, wait a minute. I say, she, goes, she goes, wait a minute. You're, we're going to take all our money in the savings account, and we're going to put it towards this project? I said, no, why would you think that? She goes, because you said that we have $500 in our savings account. And I said, no, you didn't hear me clearly. I said, we're going to take $500 from the savings account. She goes, no, 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 no. She goes, you said we had account. And I said, no, Lisa, you need to understand. And then she started a rebellion because everyone in the room said, no, Pastor Ro. You see, you see the rebellion is still here. We got to pray for our leadership. Anyhow. They said, no, Pastor Ro, you, you said it came out, you, out your mouth that we have $500 in the savings account. And I was like, no, I didn't. And so one in the group, which I will remain I will leave nameless. John said, um, he said, listen, 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 listen. We got it recorded. We got it recorded because we were recording the whole conversation for meeting minutes. I said, oh, man. And after everybody started telling me that, that I said what I said, I started believing them, right? But then when John said, listen, if we rewind this tape, and you are wrong, I want you to apologize to every single one of us by our government name. <laughs> and so listen, at, at the end of the day, I could have just said, oh, all right, guys, if you guys said I said that, then it is what it is. But I was not going to lose on the opportunity to prove five people wrong in one shot. <laughs> I was not going to lose. I mean, who's going who's gonna to give that up? And so what happens? Oh, oh, we rewind the tape, and we play it, and when we play that tape, the devil somehow got in that tape, I'm telling you. Because out my mouth came, we have $500 in the bank account. I wish you would have stopped there, but somebody needs forgiveness. Actually, we got it on. John recorded the whole thing. Can we put that on the video? Put the volume. Someone needs forgiveness. I had to apologize for every single thing I've ever debated and I've accused of not paying attention. I, I thank God there's deliverance. Come on, can we praise God for deliverance? <laughs> Eight years. Anyhow, that debate was able to be settled because there was a recording that proved, by the way, we're not going to record any more meetings. I don't like this whole recording. I'm just, I that proved that I indeed said there were $500 in the bank account. Now, for the record, there isn't. I would, I would lose my mind if there was only $500 in the bank account, but I'm just saying, that's what I said, but what I meant to say was something else, but that debate was settled. But throughout church history, there's been an ongoing debate within the body of Christ. And there's uh, almost as if two camps have assembled and have been debating each other throughout church history. And, and it's this, is, 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 and this is the question that's been debated for years. Can we put that up? This is the, the question that we got to look at and pay attention to. Is faith alone enough for salvation? Or are works required for salvation? Is faith alone, write this down in your notes, is faith alone enough for salvation? Or... Are works also required for salvation? And so the debate really starts in this passage of Scripture that James begins to write in James chapter 2. Because the abundance of Scripture over and 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 over emphasizes that faith alone is what saves us. 
But now you have James, who is the little brother of Jesus, seemingly contradicting what the Apostle Paul has been writing. Now, if you look at James's life and you look at the Apostle Paul's life, as a matter of fact, Paul could actually be um, one of James's disciples in a way because James was considered the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And Paul would, would go to James for guidance on many of these things and many times that they would come in agreement with so much. But when you ask this question, is faith alone enough for salvation or are works required for salvation? Well, how do you answer the question? You ask, well, it all depends who do you ask. Because if you ask Paul, it seems like Paul is saying one thing, but James is saying another. When you look at James chapter 2, it says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Look at everybody paying attention right here. I like that. But then you look at Paul, and Paul says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Oh, snap. So it kind of seems like there is somewhat of a, contradict, a, a contradiction even in the scriptures where you have Paul saying that, listen, listen, it's by faith alone that you are saved. But then you have James, one of the apostles, saying, no, 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 excuse me, faith alone doesn't save, it's also by works. And so upon further investigation, you begin to see, how do, how, do I, how do I find out what the answer to this question is? What, what is Paul saying? What is James saying? Uh, have you ever asked this question, like, why does the Bible seem like it's saying two different things? And, and many times we look at these passages of Scripture and we say, uh, there's so many people that have chosen not to believe the Bible because they look at these seemingly contradictions. And they say, oh, I, don't, I can't believe the word of God because it has contradictions. Paul says it's by faith alone and James says it's by works. I can't believe anything that the Bible says simply because it seems like there are contradictions. But when you begin to investigate what James is trying to communicate to his listener, the way you answer this question is by asking another question. What kind of faith is James talking about? What, what, what kind of faith is, is James talking about? Because look at what James says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, if you what? If you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone. Suppose you see your brother and sister and has, who, sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But when you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. And so many times then we begin to take that word faith out of context when he is specifically speaking about a kind of faith. He says, is, he says can, can that kind of faith save you? In other words, he's saying, hey, hey, can the kind of faith that only speaks save you? And so this is why he, he gives this example. Now, some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can, how can you show me your faith unless you have good deeds? You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe that, that and they tremble. He's talking about a certain kind of faith. And here's what I want to get you, I want to get to your heart today is that when James is speaking about a faith, he's not speaking about the faith that Paul speaks about over and over in the New Testament. In the 13 letters of Paul, James is not talking about explicitly that kind of faith. What he is talking about is a faith that is dictated but never demonstrated. And so when, Paul, when James begins to speak about 
that kind of faith. He's saying there is such thing to be the kind of person that simply professes faith but never possessed the faith. See, 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 many times he's talking to believers that they're mouthing their faith but they're never manifesting their faith. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that kind of faith doesn't work. He's saying, listen, 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 I need you to get this. Like, you could talk about it all you want. You can say these things. You could speak about these things. But let me let you know something. That kind of faith does not work. It's useless. He says, what you need is a kind of faith that transforms. What you need is the kind of faith that is demonstrated. And I don't know about you, but I need in my life a kind of faith that works. I need in my, in my future a kind of faith that works. I need in my finances a kind of faith that works. And Paul is simply saying this, you need to learn how to not just mouth your faith, you need to learn how to manifest your faith. Like, I don't know, have you ever, have you ever bought something from, from, from here? From, from, you ever bought something from here? Yeah, yeah, like, like, I don't know about you, but I bought a, a few things here, and, and, and when I first started buying here, like, they would deliver me stuff, and when I got it, it did not work. It was cheap as heck, but it did not, like, I remember I bought an apple slicer, all right? I bought me an apple slicer, and, and I took the apple slicer, and I was like, and on my first go, the metal, the metal blades popped out of the plastic. That apple slicer did not work. Can I tell you this is what James is saying. He's saying, listen, listen. It's not that it doesn't stop being an apple slicer. It's just that when you go to use that apple slicer, it doesn't work. And so many times we're preaching about the apple slicer. We sing it. We write songs about the apple slicer. Look at my apple slicer. Look at my apple slicer. Look at my apple slicer. Go ahead. Go ahead. Look at my apple slicer. Look at my apple slicer. Hey, look at my apple slicer. Uh-oh. Can I use your apple slicer? Yeah, why are you singing about this thing? Preaching about this thing. It does not work. What I want to talk to you today about is a faith that works. And the first thing you need to get in your spirit today is write this down. The faith that works is founded on God's grace. A faith that works is founded on God's grace. See, your faith is only as powerful as what is connected to. And if your faith is connected to something that is fickle and is fading, then it's only as powerful as that. And so when you're doing good, your faith is good. But when you're doing bad, your faith is bad. And I don't know about you, I don't need that kind of faith. I don't need the kind of faith that will only work sometimes. I need the kind of faith that's going to work through and through in the good times and in the bad times. And a faith that works is a faith that is founded on God's grace. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, look what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And, not, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of lest anyone should boast. For we are workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus, even we have believed in Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh should be justified. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. And be found in him and not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God is by faith. Romans chapter 11 verse 6. But if it is by grace 
it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Whew. Here's what you need to understand. That when it comes to your faith, when it comes to the faith that you possess, it must, if you want that kind of faith to work, let me tell you, it needs to be founded on God's grace. Because God's grace never fades. God's grace never changes. God's grace never uh, relents. God's grace never gives up. And so it's all about what God has done. It's not your works that save you. It's not Jesus plus you getting baptized that saves you. It's not Jesus and your moral life that saves you. It's not Jesus and speaking in tongues that saves you. It's not Jesus and angels that save you. It's not Jesus and tithes that save you. It's not Jesus plus doing harder, being better, working faster that save you. No, it's only by God's grace. It's only by what God has done because Jesus plus anything will ruin everything, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I don't know about you, but I want a kind of faith that is founded on the grace of God. And James understood this as well. James understood this, and, and, and when we read some of James's writing, it, it does not seem apparent, but you look at the first verse in chapter 2, and it says, my dear brothers and friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. See, James understood as well that salvation is by faith alone. But what James was trying to communicate is that salvation is through faith alone, but faith never comes alone. I said faith never comes alone. And here's the second point I want to give you tonight is that a faith that works transforms our inner being. A faith that works transforms our inner being. James chapter 2 verse 19. It says, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good works or good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have faith? Uh, I'm sorry. It says, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. What is he communicating here? He's, he's communicating that when you have experienced faith in God, it transforms you on the, on the inside. Now, now we, we recently had um, a couple get married here. How many couples do we got? Couples? Couples in the house? I'm looking for a, man, I'm looking for a couple I could borrow, I could use. If, you, if you're a couple, can you just raise your hand real quick? But you're here. Your couple's here. There we go. Frank and Steph, come here. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Frank and Steph, come here. Now, I had the pr privilege of marrying Frank and Steph a couple of years ago. Now, how many of you would agree that when they got married, something had to change? You know what I'm saying? Right? Like the day Lisa and I got married, guess what? Something had to change. Guess what my type became when Lisa and I got married? Curly hair, Chinese flaquita. That's my type. Something had to change on the inside of Frank when he got married to his bride, Stephanie. And something had to change in Stephanie when she married her husband, Frank. Like, I don't know about you, but, but what James is saying is, listen, some of you claim to be married to God, but you're still living like you're single. Oh, top. This is what James is saying. He's like, listen, let me remind you that 
that you are married to God. Let me remind you that you're in a committed relationship with God. Let me remind you that when you meet God, something on the inside of you has to change. Jesus does not meet people and they go unchanged. So guess what? Their, 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 their view on other people had to change. Their view of themselves had to change. There are some things that Frank was able to do when he was single that he cannot do now that he's married. And it's not only that he cannot do them, it's that he may not want to do them because he's in love with his bride. And there's some things that maybe she could have done and got away with when she was single. But the moment she said, this hunka hunka is my husband... can't just let somebody slide in my DMs. I can't just let somebody just ask me what my... Listen, the other day I opened up the door for somebody. And I don't know what this has to do with this sermon, but it makes me look good, so I'm going to just say. I opened up the door, and this lady looked at me and she said, wow, handsome and a gentleman. And she wasn't lying, but that's besides the point. I said, Satan, get thee behind me. And I came and told everybody at church. (laughs) But how many of you guys know, like, something happens on the inside when you become one with your husband and one with your wife. You even begin to think the same and talk the same. There's something that takes place when you become united with someone. And this is what James is saying. Give it up for Frank and Steph. Thank you so much. He's saying, listen, man, this cannot just be the kind of faith that is lip service. It has to be a lifestyle. This can't just be this kind of faith that you just talk about but never live out. You can't just talk about you're married. Yeah, I'm married. Yeah, I'm married. But when I look at your life, it doesn't look like you're married, man. You kind of seem like you're walking single and like, like, oh, I went to, yeah, I got married. Imagine, imagine. Imagine you at the club, evangelizing to other people, DK. And you meet somebody there, like, you know, you're at the dance floor. Let's say you're not the club, all right? Let's just say the dance floor, right? And you meet somebody there. Oh, how you doing? How's everything? And somebody approaches you, and they're like, hey, man, how are you? How's everything? Man, you look really nice today. He's like, he's like can I get you a drink of, of uh, a virgin pina colada? And... It's Christian game 101, come on. And, and then you just talk to them and, and then he's like, yeah, yeah, yo, you know what's crazy? I got married yesterday and come again? Yeah, yeah, no, I just got married. I had my wedding, it was awesome. Yeah, But listen, can I get your number and wait, wait, you got married yesterday? Do you see the picture that James is trying to communicate? He's saying, listen, man, I... You guys have been married to Jesus for for quite some time and you keep talking about your faith and you keep talking about that God's inside of you and that there's, but there's no evidence of that change taking place. And and this is why James emphasizes that there needs to be a manifestation of what God is doing on the inside. But a faith that works is not a faith that you just encounter Jesus and walk away unchanged. A faith that works is, is a faith that goes so deeply rooted on the inside of you that it begins to transform your life. It begins to transform your nature. It begins to change your desires. It begins to change your proclivities. It begins to change the way you speak. Holla! It begins to change your lifestyle and your preferences. It begins to change the way you spend your money. It begins to change your longings and your ambitions and your desires and your appetites. See, Jesus works for us. That's called grace. But Jesus works in us. That's called renewing your mind. And 
I've never met a person that has encountered Jesus and has gone on change. Every time Jesus meets someone, let me tell you, Jesus encountered a woman at the well and she changed from thirsty to satisfied. Jesus encountered a blind man and he went from having no vision to being able to see. Jesus encountered 10 lepers and they went from having a skin disease to having skin as pure as a baby. Jesus encountered Lazarus in his dead grave. But when Jesus encounters you, he begins to change so much so that even if you're dead, he will bring you back to life. Come on, somebody give God a praise in this room if you know what I'm talking about. He changes you. Titus chapter 3, it says, but God, the one who saves, showed how kind he was and how he loved us by saving us from the punishment of sin. It was not because... We work to be right with God. It was because of his loving kindness that he washed our sins away. At the same time, he gave us, here we go, a new life. When the Holy Spirit came into our lives. Did you see that? At the same time, he gave us a new life. When the Holy Spirit came into our lives. James is saying, listen, I, I get you're saying that God has come into your life. And I get you, you're saying you've placed faith in Jesus. But let me tell you, when you've placed faith in Jesus, something on the inside of you begins to transform. Something on the inside. And look at Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26. It says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, keyword, responsive heart. And this is the Ezekiel being able to prophesy and seeing what, what the work of Jesus will accomplish in the New Testament. He's saying, listen, I don't know about you, but I've lived with a stubborn heart. I've lived with a stony heart. I lived with a heart that says I could cut people off with a blink. I lived with a heart that says, listen, I don't need anybody. I've lived with a heart that says all I'm going to do is focus on myself. All I'm going to do is hold a grudge. I've lived with a heart that says I'm going to seek to be selfish and only be be ambitious, to, ambitious towards the things that I desire. But Jesus gave me a new heart. I said he gave me a new heart. And when God gives you a new heart, you begin to transform. You begin to change. The things I used to love, I don't love anymore. The things I, I, I didn't want a part of, now I want a part of. The, I, I didn't like being around, now I want to be around people. The desires I used to have, I don't, I don't have anymore. But it's because I've encountered and I've placed my faith in Christ. That's a faith that works. Second Corinthians chapter 3, it says, and our faces are covered, are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory and we are being changed to be like him. This change in us brings more and more glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So yes, many of us we've moved from glory to glory. But that's not your journey. The Bible says that when you become more like Jesus, as he begins to transform you on the inside, that's what faith that works is. It's, it's a faith that transforms you on the inside. It's that you go from glory to glory where the glory of yesterday is not enough for the glory that you are possessing today. But you don't just stop there. And many times we stay satisfied with our current state of glory. But God says you are going from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. Come on, somebody. Next, somebody, next time somebody cuts you off, tell them I'm just going from glory to glory. Next time somebody skips you in line at Wendy's saying I'm just going from glory to glory. Next time somebody deceives you, tell them I'm just going from glory to glory to glory to glory. 
Now this is a faith that works. One that transforms you. And what James is writing at his late ages of life, he says, son, I've seen you. I've seen you've been coming to the temple for a long time. I've seen you get baptized. and I, But you've just gone from one state of glory to another, but not have moved on from glory to glory to glory. And maybe you're here today and God is saying the same thing to you. Man, you've been going to church for maybe a long time. God is saying, don't get satisfied with yesterday's level of glory. There's so much more that I want to do in your life. The Bible says in Hebrews, it says, by this time you ought to be teachers. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that there is an expectation that God has for you to grow. There's an expectation for God that God has for you to go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. A faith that works is a faith that is founded on the grace of God. You cannot build on any kind of faith. If it's not grounded and founded on the grace of God, any kind of faith that is founded in your works, if it's founded on something else, if it is founded on an idea or even a theology, any faith that is grounded and founded, then it's dependent of that. And so when you're good, I remember, I remember when my faith was dependent on my works. When I used to fast and pray, I was in glory. I was so holy that I couldn't even take a bath. Because every time I tried to take a bath, the water split. Marcus got, Marcus got that one. But every time I fell short, I ended up in the pit of condemnation. Because my faith was dependent on something that was inconsistent. Faith is, has to be grounded on the grace of God. And the second thing is that faith that works transforms your inner being. And last but not least, I want you to write this down. A faith that works produces good works. <laughs> a faith that works always produces good works. And I want to read to you this last scripture. It says, how foolish. Can you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham has shown to be right with God by his actions? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And when you look at the original language, Paul, uh, James is not saying that faith is completed by actions. The original language is to communicate that your faith is vindicated by your actions. And so when you look at the original language of this word justified, it's used in the New Testament as two separate meanings. One of them is to be made right with God, just as if I had not sinned. That's what justified means in one, in one term. And in another term, it also means to be vindicated. And ultimately what he's saying is like the proof of your faith. You don't need to live your life trying to prove your faith. Hear me. But the proof of your faith is the way you live. And ultimately what he's saying is that he's saying, do you trust God? If you do, you will see it in your lifestyle. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Who can I? Um, Ruben, help me out here. Ruben, um, let me give you this an example. Um, let me see. Who else? Who else? Drew, come help me out. Lewis, come help me out. <clears throat> Ruben, do you trust me? Yes. Turn around. Fall back. You guys know that? It's called a trust fall, right? Now, now, what if I say, Reuben, do you trust me? 
Do you trust that I will catch you if you fall? And he says, I trust you, man. I trust you with all my heart. But I ain't going to fall. Then you begin to examine the person's heart. Because if you trust me, then you would allow me to catch you. Right? You ever done this to your kids? I do this to the kids all over the church so that by the time they're teenagers, they trust me. I'm working. This is the slow game. I work this. Right, mate? Zach does anything I say now. He's 20, he's 20 years old. I've been working on that kid for eight years. Lewis, do you trust me? Fall back. That, that was a semi-trust. You saw that, right? That was a semi-trust. Y'all saw that. I was like... Did that look like trust to y'all? That worked. That was led by the Holy Spirit because I needed somebody to do that. That was a semi-trust. Drew, do you trust me? He said, don't drop me. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, do you trust me? He looked back. Drew, do you trust me? Can I try something else? Go up here. slicer and sing about my apple slicer and wave out my awesome apple slicer and get a bumper sticker in the back of my car that says Holy Ghost filled apple slicer. And I need a faith that works. Faith that works causes me to step out of my boat. And God says, do you trust me when I've called you to love people? Do you trust me when I've called you to serve the ones that don't deserve to be served? Do you trust me when I've called you to give a certain amount of money? And it doesn't seem logical, but God called you to do it. Do you trust me when I've gone and called you to do something that doesn't seem reasonable, but I'm calling you to step out of the boat? I need a faith that God's word can take my stony heart and make it moldable, but he can take watery substance, liquid, and make it solid for me to walk on. See, that's a faith that works. And can I tell you, Kuhal, God has called us to do so much. Second Corinthians says, for God was in Christ restoring the world to himself no longer counting men's sin against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you as through Christ himself, we're here pleading with you. Receive the love he offers. 
be reconciled with God. The last few verses of James, it says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up with truth, with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace, loving, gentle, all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and, and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers, will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So guess what? Our vertical devotion to God will always produce a horizontal devotion to others. There's no escaping. I thought me becoming spiritual was just me getting close to God and that's it. But can I tell you that God created us for a relationship and he created us to serve this world. And I just wish that God would do all the work by himself. It says that he reconciled the world to himself, but here's how he's doing it. Through you. He's doing it through me. He's doing it through Emily. He's doing it through Bianca. He's doing it through May. He's doing it through Marcus. He's doing it through Steph. And sometimes I just want to say, God, can't you just do it? And God's saying, no, I want to partner with you. And this is why you need to be founded in my grace. This is why you need to allow me to transform you. So that when I ask you to step out in love towards others, you can do it with a faith that will not give up or relent. Yes, Lord. There's a lot of work on this island. There are people who are lost that God has called us to find. There are people who are broken that God has called us to mend together. There are people that have been abused that God has called us to lead in a true love in Christ. There are people that are hurting that God has called us to help. There are children that need to know about their heavenly father. There are community groups that need to multiply. There are campuses that need to launch. There are leaders that need to be built. And there are programs that need to be created. We're doing all these things not for salvation of ourselves, but from our salvation so that we can allow others to experience that same salvation. There's a work that needs to be done and God is calling Christ uncensored to do that work. If you believe that in this place, get up on your feet and give God a shout of praise all over this room. Come on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, Go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.